Hi everyone and welcome to the Dark History Podcast. Hope everybody is well. Sorry my scheduling's a little off for this episode. I do try to get these out on a Monday, but I've been a little ill for the past couple of weeks. Honestly, I couldn't talk, so I do apologise. Thank you as always for the support on the episodes. We're constantly getting more and more plays and downloads every week. So, episode 8. Now I know I said I would probably do part 2 on London, and I will in time, but I thought, I haven't done a biography in a while, so let's do one of those. So, episode 8 will be dedicated to the ladies, as we talk about one of history's first and worst serial killers. The original sadomasochist, Fen Fatale. A woman who shows it's not only the men that can be cruel. A woman whose exploits got her into the record books. The Countess of Blood, Elizabeth Bathory. So without further ado, please sit back and relax for more Dark History. The woman we know as Elizabeth Bathory was born Elizabeth Bathory on the 7th of August 1560. She was born into one of Central Europe's most prominent families who resided in Norbertar in the Kingdom of Hungary. Being from such a powerful and affluent family, she had a classical upbringing with an education that spurred no expense. Learning to speak Hungarian, Greek, Latin, German and Slovak in her formative years. Unfortunately, as a child, Elizabeth was very sickly Historians believe the fact that her parents were first cousins may have something to do with her weak constitution. We see this a lot through history, the marriages of family members keeping bloodlines strong so to speak, but causes dire health problems for their children. The Habsburgs spring to mind, and if you haven't heard of the Habsburg jar, google it. It isn't disgusting, but they did produce some fine specimens, but I digress, as I always do. Anyway, moving from the incest, Elizabeth developed epilepsy as a consequence of her parents. The history books record that Elizabeth was drawn to atrocities at a young age. She was said to have laughed at a man who had been caught for a crime of stealing, and his punishment was to be sewn into the body of a horse. She would also witness the severe beatings that were inflicted on the servants. Unlike most young girls, Elizabeth wouldn't shy away from the violence. On the contrary, she sorted out. By the age of 10, Elizabeth was beginning to become a stunningly beautiful young woman. As was customary at the time, she was to be betrothed to a 15-year-old Hungarian count by the name of Ferenc Nadaski, and moved to his parents' palace to be educated in how to run the estate under the tutelage of her mother-in-law. Legend has it that Bathory had an affair in her teenage years with a peasant boy, who in turn got her pregnant. It is said that she gave the baby away, and when Nadaski discovered the affair, he had the peasant boy castrated and thrown to a pack of wild dogs. Despite the affair, Ferenc and Elizabeth married on May 8, 1574, when she was just 14. The wedding was said to have been an extravagant affair, attended by four and a half thousand people, with the party raging for three days. At the time, the couple were seen as the power couple of the day. They were the unity between two of Hungary's major families. At the height of the party, her husband gave her a wedding present, a castle of her own. 
Elizabeth's present was nestled in the Little Carpathians, in what is today Slovakia. Surrounded by farmland and villages, the castle Kacztais, as it was named, was the darkest and most bleakest castle in all of the Hungarian Empire, and a fitting murder scene for Elizabeth's horrendous crimes to come. For the first years, Elizabeth was busy with learning how to oversee her many estates. Her husband was off fighting against the Ottoman Empire. The Turks invaded Hungary in 1591. This invasion was the start of a larger war that became known as the Long Turkish War that pitted the Habsburgs against the Ottoman Empire. This war would run from 1593 to 1606. As the war dragged on, the economic state in Hungary was dire. Nadaski, Elizabeth's husband, proved to be a great warrior, earning himself the nickname of the Blind Knight of Hungary. His absolute brutality terrified enemies and shocked his allies. The couple never felt the economic pinch. Bathory's husband showered her with gifts taken from the Ottomans. In fact, the couple became so wealthy they lent money to the Hungarian Habsburg Empire just to keep it afloat. During the war, Elizabeth's lure at Katzteis came under attack by the Turks. Bathory would defend her husband's estate very efficiently, at times giving refuge to the desperate by feeding and housing them. Over the first few years of the marriage, Elizabeth and Ferenc didn't spend much time together, but when they did, it's said they bonded over the torture of young servant girls under their charge. Elizabeth's husband taught her innovative ways of punishment, like rolling up oiled paper, placing it between their toes and setting it alight. It's also claimed that Bathory was gifted a clawed glove to scratch the face of her disobedient servants. As brutal and sadistic as her husband was, Elizabeth would gain another, more evil tutor of the dark arts, by the name of Anna Davaloya. Anna Davaloya joined the household in 1601. She was said to be a very strange woman. Whispers around the castle and village claimed she was a witch. Anna seemed to be the catalyst of the dramatic change in Elizabeth Baffrey's personality, from Betty Tartra to the devil incarnate. If her husband taught her to harm, Anna taught her to kill. Unfretted sadism replaced marital torture, all under the tutelage of Anna Davaloya. Elizabeth became responsible for the deaths of several servant girls around this time. The disappearances raised no eyebrows. But let's be honest, in those days, peasants' lives were cheap and disposable. Any questions raised by the family members were quashed instantly by the power couple, which made Elizabeth Bathory virtually untouchable, giving her free reign to torture, terrorise and murder to her heart's content. Regardless of the power projection, couples had, it did nothing to dispel the rumours. A local priest became suspicious due to the amount of servant girl funerals he was asked to preside over. All he was told is they died of cholera. He asked after one too many funerals, your grace should not have acted so because it offends the Lord and if we do not complain to you or criticise your grace and in order to confirm my words are true, we need to only to exhume the bodies and you will find marks identifying the ways in which the deaths occurred. Elizabeth was outraged at the accusations from the priest. She threatened that she had powerful relatives wouldn't tolerate such talk. Then she stormed out of the church, leaving her husband to smooth things out. 
1598, the murderous couple had completed their family when the youngest of the five known children were born and everything was rosy until 1601 when Ferenc became unwell. The specific details of his afflictions are unknown, but what we do know is the illness paralysed her husband's legs. He suffered with this until his death in 1604, bringing an end to their 29-year marriage. At the time of her husband's death, Elizabeth was 44 years old, and this event changed her personality again, not for the better. The servants had noticed she had become more sadistic. The stresses of taking on the needs of a large empire no doubt contributed to this change. Her hobby for torture and death became a full-time preoccupation, and having 400 servants throughout her empire gave her no shortage of victims, you would think. Of course, if she was to kill her servants, there was the hassle of having to hire and train more. So Elizabeth began to lure in young girls from the surrounding villages. She would have her torturous fill and throw their mangled bodies over the castle walls for the wolves to devour. Did Elizabeth have accomplices, I hear you ask? Well, yes, she built a team of loyal sycophants who would facilitate her murderous ways. Obviously, good old Anna Davaloya was her main conspirator, but there were a few more in her coven. A nurse who would tend to Elizabeth's children, a woman named Iona Joe, Elizabeth's friend who was named Dorka, Catalin, the washwoman, and a disfigured teen named Fizeko. The main two contributors were Anna and Dorka. These two evil women would try to outdo each other with how much pain they could inflict. The progression from servant to corpse would begin with a mistake in performance. This could be as menial as missing a stitch. The Countess, if present, would fix her furious gaze and yell at the girl, then would proceed to beat her. Elizabeth had some sort of metaphorical menu for torture. A sewing mistake, for example, would consist of the girl being stripped naked and then having long sewing needles stabbed into her fingers. Elizabeth would comment, if it hurts the whore, she can pull it out. The poor unfortunate girl would take this as permission to take the needles out. Before she did so, Elizabeth would brandish a knife and take the girl's fingers off. They were the lucky ones. Most of the time, the bloodlust was too much to handle. The poor servants were dragged off to the torture chamber. It was here Elizabeth employed her torture squad. When the girls entered the chamber, all manner of tools and instruments were used to cause the most gruesome wounds imaginable. Pinchers would be used to tear the flesh from bone, or their insides would also be torn out. There are even reports of cannibalism being enforced on these girls. We know for certain some of the details of the activities that took place in the torture chamber, from the investigations and subsequent trials that took place when Faye eventually caught up with Elizabeth Bathory and her accomplices. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room. I'm more than certain, if like me, you are partial to the macabre side of history, you would heard of the story of her draining the blood of virgins and bathing in it as a means of preserving her youthful beauty. Right. Well, unfortunately, this is completely untrue. Nowhere is there an account to back this story up. Rather, the servants would mention that the floors and walls of the torture chamber were covered in blood and they would have to clean it. The Countess showed no interest in preserving blood for some narcissistic beauty regime. 
I mean, not that that absolves her from her crime. She still was a sick and twisted individual. By 1609, the events in the castle were the talk of the town, but the law was powerless to intervene at the time, as peasants could not bring charges against nobility. Some looked at the countess as a source of income, even selling their children to her, of course to provide servant duties. But if a few perished due to cholera, what of it? Elizabeth's bloodlust by now could not be satiated, and the bodies were quite literally piling up. A group of enablers struggled to find places to bury the dead. Many were thrown into mass graves in the castle's courtyards, ready to be dug up by gnawed at by wild dogs. 1609 was the year Elizabeth began to spiral into loneliness and depression. Her debts began to mount. All of her children had grown and were married off, and her close confidant, Anna Davaloya, died of a stroke. All this brought Elizabeth to the conclusion she needed a better standard of victim. We don't fully understand why, but her steward, Ursis Marjolova, who was believed to be a witch, convinced Elizabeth that killing noble girls would turn around her finances. Or, simply, she had run out of peasants to kill. Whatever the reason, Bathory opened a finishing school for noble girls. The finishing school was a perfect cover for Elizabeth to continue her murderous ways and fill her coffers at the same time. The need to kill must have clouded her judgement, because somebody would obviously notice aristocratic girls disappearing off the face of the earth, and unfortunately for Bathory, they did, and when the parents of the deceased came calling, Bathory made up the bizarrest of excuses. That one girl went crazy and killed the other girls, then conveniently killed herself. Nobody was convinced. Some parents went on to appeal to, to King Matthias II, and he decided to start an investigation. When the investigation officially began, the lead investigator was the king's highest ranking representative, a man named Gorgi Thurzo. Thurzo had been one of Bathory's husband's closest associates, to the point that on Ferenc's deathbed, he asked Thurzo to look after his wife. However, Thurzo's loyalty to the king was much stronger. When he began to interview people, he soon had countless statements of the countess's and her cohort's bloody crimes. Servants who miraculously escaped spoke of screams and blood-drenched walls and ever-growing graveyards. Thurzo believed Bathory was guilty, but had a dilemma. He wanted to order both his friend and his king, so he wrote to Elizabeth's relatives for advice. An agreement was struck that Elizabeth would go directly to prison without bringing shame on the family with a trial. On the 30th of December, Thurzo went to Bathory's castle and arrested her, along with four other servants who were accused of being her accomplices. Dorka, Iona Joe, Cataline, and Fisco. On January 1611, Bathory's cohorts were placed on trial. Reports do vary on the total of number of murders they were charged with, ranging from 80 all the way up to 650. Nevertheless, all were convicted, but only two escaped execution. Aona Joe and Darker were tortured first, having their fingers ripped off with iron tongs before being put to death, their bodies being thrown on a bonfire. Fisco was spurred torture because of his young age. Instead, he was beheaded, and Catelyn, 
who had been beaten herself as a servant, was spurred execution and sentenced to life in prison. Thurzo kept his promise of Bathory not being placed on trial, but she was sentenced to life imprisonment in one of her own dungeons. On August 24th, 1614, Elizabeth Bathory complained of cold hands to the guard. He told her to lie down. She did so and never woke up. She was buried in the church cemetery at Catice, but she didn't last long there as the locals were outraged at her burial in their holy ground. Legend has it she was exhumed and moved to the family crypt. However, in 1995 the crypt was opened and her body was nowhere to be found. I hope you enjoyed a look into the life of the Countess of Blood. I must admit, doing the research for this, I was very surprised that she never bathed in blood. That, I thought, was a given. I mean, it was gruesome enough without that, but that's just a story I presumed everyone knew. The trouble I have with this is the fact that she pretty much got to die in her sleep peacefully. She really was the ringleader of it all, and quite literally got away with murder by medieval standards. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed episode 8. As always, links to YouTube and TikTok will be in the description. If you did enjoy this, please consider leaving a review. Share the podcast if you think friends and family will enjoy it. And if you want to hear more, please feel free to subscribe or follow. Episodes will be up every two weeks. With that out the way, please join me for episode 9 and more Dark History. <laughs>